Birth Place of the Bohemian Revolution from Cowork 591 Studios. This is the Steve Brown Arts Center Podcast Network with producer Blake Tempest and co-host Dale Ruber. I'm Jim Gillespie. And this is the Jessup News for January 29th, 2024. Whoa. The time goes by. It does, yeah. Just... Click follow and rate us as well, and tell your friends about the Steve Brown Art Center. Tell your friends about our podcast. Our numbers are up this week, gentlemen. Skyrocketing they or just are, up? They're up. Oh, it's okay. not skyrocketing, <laughs> but they're right. up. Well, well done. I'm glad. Well done. Yeah, Thank so. you. Um, as always, we're talking about the winners and losers. I'm talking about a boxer named Lou. Dale's talking about the wind turbines. The Steve Brown Arts Center has a press release. We're going to talk about the Kim Reynolds folly. We're going to talk about a watercraft inventor. We're going to give our weekly update at the Steve Brown Arts Center. We have a special guest tonight. The, the head of the executive branch is in from Jessup. And we look at the Steve Brown Arts Center. The Long Range vision is to house a rural artist residency program for professional and emerging artists in all areas of the arts and the humanities. Artists will be offered accommodations and studio space in exchange for a contribution of labor and maintenance of the buildings and grounds. As we push toward that goal, we are blessed to have multiple venues that have supported us. And so, Dale, I will start with the winners tonight. All right. My winner of the week are all the venues that have sponsored events for the Steve Brown Arts Center. That's a good choice. It is. This past week, Allerton Brewery hosted Dave Harms and his grandson. Mm -hmm. And I'm proud to say that was not only a fun event, but a very successful event. Probably Allerton had probably 200 people in that night mm -hmm. and 75 of them probably viewed Dave and his grandson's work. Okay, and there's a nice write-up in the Bulletin Journal, I see. Yeah, there um, is. John Big Klotz. picture, and so. John Klotzbach has always been very kind in the Bulletin yeah. Journal to the Steve Brown Arts Center. I want to thank John. Also, the Jessup Public Library and the Independence Public Library has served us very well. Mm -hmm. Jessup City Hall has been good to us. Obviously, Cowork 591 allows us to do our podcast each and every week here. The park board lets you use their gazebo every time it's 10, below, 10 degrees or, or lower, don't they? It, it so, does, actually. Uh, oh, was, yeah. Actually, both, <laughs> both farmers, or the last two farmers' days, they let us use it. Oh, even, well. if, even if it wasn't just 10 degrees? Yes, oh, okay. Yes, I thought it had to be degrees. really cold before they let you in there. So When it was 100 degrees, yeah. <laughs> I burned real well one day. Okay. Um, the Littleton Chatham Historical hmm. Society is always kind to us out there. Moloch Theater in Independence has been a great supporter. There, there's just multiple venues supported the Steve Brown Arts Center, and so they are my winners for this week. Thank you, everybody. Who's your winner, Dale? Well, before I say, I'd like to hark back to last week. Yes. Uh, my winner was uh, uh, Blackhawk County Sheriff Tony Thompson, who has written a book called Any Place But Here about uh, the mental illness, uh, people suffering from mental illness that end up in jail and uh, shouldn't be there. Well, he is uh, giving a book talk 
at the Cedar Falls Public Library on February the 10th. That's quite a ways away, but from 10.30 to 11.30. So if you're interested uh, in this problem that we have in our state and probably in our country, why uh, I'll try to mention again uh, the next time we're on, too. Uh, what day is that? That's yeah. February the 10th. It's Saturday. It's a Saturday. Yeah, okay. 10.30 to 11.30 at the Cedar Falls Public Library. And... Uh, I called the library here in town and there. I think they probably have the book by now if you'd like to read it, and I have a copy at home. So I guess it's selling quite well, and it's not a, a terribly big book. So it'd be a, a you know a, a quick read, but it's a very, very important problem. That'd and be so, a great guest for us to have on our, he'd be a great guest for us to have on our podcast. Yeah, and he could arrest Ron Steele and bring him too. He could. That's what I think, yeah, so, <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, my winner today is, is Barnes & Noble Booksellers. I was real proud of them. Just heard that they're opening a new store in Dubuque. And that makes uh, eight, they reported, of their stores in Iowa. And uh, I'm just really pleased that a company that's selling books, doing well enough that they're able to expand and uh, get more books out there. I'm just really pleased that people are buying books. And uh, it's the way to go. And there's so much information you can find in, in books and uh, so much uh, leisure time, pleasure in this sort of thing. And they always have a, a big kids selection, which is, is ever so good for getting your beginning readers going. So anyway, I chose Barnes & Noble. I thought that was a good thing that they're doing that well. Dale, I'm going to ask you, have you ever tried it or have you ever tried to read a book on a pad or on on your phone or anything like that? Yeah, I, 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 never, I never have. But uh, Has your wife got into that? No. Uh, uh, your children? Uh, grandchildren. Well, yeah, probably my kids do. Yeah, my kids and my grandkids do. Mm -hmm. And uh, though uh, from the number of books my son gives me, he still gets a lot of hardcover, hardback books, and he passes them on to me. And so he's still reading a lot of books. And I know that his wife is also. So uh, so there's some of us that are still reading. My daughter, Joy, uh, the biggest problem she has is she can't get rid of books, and so she's starting to get overcrowded. And she has a shirt that says, it's not hoarding if it's books. And so uh, she has a hard time weeding. But uh, so she's still like, I guess all my, yeah, we're pretty much book people. What I know some of my grandkids have the Kindle and this sort of thing. What that they read, so I'm really proud of myself, and no brag, just fact, years ago, and I, and I tried to do a library. As a matter of fact, and I don't know if this is a good thing or not, my mother bought me 100 leather-bound, just beautiful leather-bound classics. Okay. Um, one book a month for 100 months. Mm -hmm. It was... And how old uh, were you then? Or? Well, she started when I moved her down to just... Okay, so you were a grown man then. Yeah. She did. Okay. Yeah. And actually, she, she must have purchased it all at one time because I was still getting them after she passed away. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I had all those books and I'd read multiple of them. And so I gave 50 of those to Strabel and 50 of those to, to Mark Strabel and 50 of those to Serena Andrews, mm -hmm. the, the English teachers up at the high school. Um, believe and this is no attack on you or your family or anybody that has a giant library in their house can't read all of them at one time <laughs> yeah, i understand that yeah and yeah. i live i try to live a minimalist life although since i became more involved in the steve brown art center i buy art more than books mm -hmm. and i'm running out of space on my walls yeah <laughs> 
But well, you either get more walls or you have to start every month put something new up, you know, and yeah. just rotate. Yeah. But I mm. I believe that I finish a book and I try to give that book away to someone and I tell them usually when I give them the book when they're done with it, share it with someone else. Yeah. Now, I don't know if they always do it. I, I don't know if they did it. Yeah. Well, half my library is, is books that people lent me and I never returned, you know. So, uh, <laughs> so you know, I think a lot of people have libraries like that. Yeah. But, no, I try. Uh, I know I share books with Howard Beyer. We have similar tastes. And uh, so I share a lot of books with him. And then my kids share books with me. And uh, I try to keep them moving. Uh, I don't think I've ever thrown, like old paperbacks that are falling apart, but any, like a hardbound book, I've never thrown one in the garbage can. I just can't do it. I don't, I try to find something to do with it. And uh, I know that uh, the public library, they, the Lions Club in Waterloo has a huge book sale every yep. year. And so their books that they have weeded out, they will send over there uh, and donate it. To, well, I guess they don't, yeah, they donate it to them for them to sell to because they do projects with the money they make. And so, but we try to keep the books moving. And so. Uh, here's, a, here's a question for both you and Blake. Do you gentlemen believe that the audiobooks are reading a book? Oh. <laughs> well, uh, I have a neighbor. She gave me a detective book uh, from an author I was not familiar with. And she said uh, she has. The series. I don't know how many books are in the in the in the series, but she's saying she's listening to them on in her car as she travels to work and around and this sort of thing. And then, but she has all the books, and when she retires, then she's going to read all the books. And so I thought, well, that's probably a good way of uh, staying involved and keeping up with things. So I don't know, but yeah, to me, well, I don't know. If you listen to a book. To me, I always hoped when I read, I used to read to my students every day and try to pick books that they would like. And my goal was that when I would finish reading the story to them, one of the kids would say, can I have that book and read it to themselves, you know, read it again. And so that was always, uh, so I always hoped that when they heard it, that they would turn around and read it. Mm -hmm. And so I guess that would be, so I guess what well, my answer is, no, it's not really reading it until you, re <laughs> you read it. Okay, I'm sorry. I, I went all the way around the barn and still didn't get in. So, What do you, what do you think, Blake? Is it reading, is an audio book reading a book? No, it's listening to a book. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm wrong. You guys are right. <laughs> it's not, not like that's ever happened before, you know. <laughs> the, uh, my... my uh, Loser for this week is Ron DeSantis. He he skipped. I I thought it was weird when coming out of Iowa, coming second out of Iowa, New Hampshire, and went right to Nikki Haley's state, South Carolina. Yeah. I thought that that is weird. Something's happening. Well, two days later, he was out of the race. Yeah, and yeah. so. I, uh, DeSantis is back to Florida, and there's talk that he will be tough to deal with for the legislators down in Florida, that he will come back with bitterness, ah. that, because a number of those legislators threw their support to Donald Trump in Florida, Yeah, <clears throat> and they think that we'll take it out on mm -hmm. them when he comes back. Yeah. So he's my loser for the week. Okay. He's mine too. Is so, he? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, 
I thought he he, he played it all wrong. And uh, when you, in boot camp, they have, the Marine Corps still has bay. I don't think the Army has bayonets anymore. The Marine Corps still has the bayonets that go on the end of their rifle. And that's the last order you want to hear is fix bayonets because then you know it's going to be really close. But they teach you how to use a bayonet on the end of a rifle. And they have a big field and they got an instructor on a big platform. And, you know, you thrust and parry and all this kind of stuff. But in front of the instructor, there are two well-kept graves mounded, nice white fence around them, green grass on them. And the headstone, one says private caution and the other says private defense. And what they're trying to tell you is if you're too cautious or you're too defensive in bayonet fighting, you probably will end up in the grave. Well, I thought that's what DeSantis did. He needed to attack Trump instead of just mulling around. He needed to say, you know, it's an accused adulterer, an accused rapist, a convicted rapist. You know, and he needed to really show the difference between himself on a character level and what they were getting. And he never he never ever went after Trump that I could see where he tried to show why uh, Trump was a no good scoundrel and he should be elected instead. Because he, he says, I've, you know, he, he says, I'm mini Trump or what junior Trump. You know, he had the same ideas as Trump, only he uh, doesn't have all the baggage. And that's what he needed to show. And I thought he did not do that. And so it reminded me of the 2016 presidential, the Republican debate, where there was a whole bunch of candidates on the stage, televised debate, said some uh, disparaging remarks about Ted Cruz's father and also about his wife. And Cruz just stood there and took it. And I don't know if you've known many men from Texas. Most of the men I know from Texas would have walked over and punched him in the mouth. And if he'd have done that, I'd have voted for the So I mean, really. But right now, he's just a short little fat guy in cowboy boots and a, and a big hat. You know, he's just a joke as far as I'm concerned, because he uh, he, didn't stand he, up he didn't stand up, talked about his father and his wife. He didn't stand up to Trump. And then he ended up, you know, cozying up to him, hoping to get some of the leftovers. And that's what DeSantis and Scott and these guys, you know, end up in New Hampshire saying how much they love Donald Trump and this sort of thing after they dropped out of the race. And uh, well, I think they all have their eye on a job sometime, you well, know, in the future. And I, so I anyway, so DeSantis was my loser also. I heard it's, I heard a pundit <clears throat> and just one pundit. I haven't heard other pundits say this, but one pundit said that he has his eye on the vice president. I haven't heard that a lot. Yeah, and I'm not con convinced yeah. that. Donald Trump wants his wants that saddlebag on. Yeah, Jimmy Fallon goes after DeSantis a lot about the, all the lifts. He wears cowboy boots. Then he has lifts in those to make him appear taller. And he's listed anywhere from five eight to five eleven, I guess. <laughs> and so he's very self conscious about his height, I guess. And so uh, I just think that's very interesting. That uh, of all the things to be concerned about, that would be something that really. But everybody's got their thing, I guess. Right. But uh, you would think that. Uh, that would not be a thing in this day and age that would be that big a thing that where it would open them up to ridicule. Well, uh, <clears throat> this is the Steve Brown Arts Center Podcast Network. I'm Jim Gillespie with co-host Dale Reber and producer Blake Tempest. One of the things I want to talk about today is <clears throat> a boxer named Lou, Dale. Lou, okay. Okay, so Lou, when he would get in trouble as a child, his mother <clears throat> would call him a bad boy. Well, one day before school got out, he got in trouble in Mrs. Whitehead's class. He was the class joker. And Lou 
got in trouble just before school got out and Mrs. Whitehead had tried everything like all teachers. She had tried to move him to different chairs and she had moved him away from everyone and kept him in from recess and school ended and she had had it. She said, Lou, before you leave, you're going to write on the board 150 times, I am a bad boy. <laughs> and so he did it. You know, he did, never gave back to Mrs. Whitehead. Love Mrs. Whitehead. Well, Lou, when he got into middle school, early high school, met a young man who became a boxer by the name of Johnny Lane. And then when he graduated high school, Johnny Lane convinced Lou to be a boxer. Well, Lou never told his mom or his dad. And he went out being managed by a man named Abe Green. He won his first 10 matches and became a local favorite. And his family knew nothing about it. His mom knew nothing about it. His dad knew nothing about it because he knew his mother would call him a bad boy. Mm -hmm. he, he would come home the night after a fight and might have a black eye. And, and uh, as, long as, as long as he would hide it from his mother or father, he could get away with it. On his 11th fight, his uncle Mike decided to take his father to the boxing matches to see up-and-coming boxer by the name of Lou. And as Lou entered the ring, his father's jaw dropped. It was his son. Mm -hmm. And the 11th match, his, Lou knew, knew not that his father was there, and Lou won the match. And the next day was Saturday morning, and he heard his mom and dad down next to us making breakfast, and he walked down to the breakfast table. And as he sat down at the breakfast table, his mother, Helene, turns around and says, Lou, been a bad boy. <laughs> and Lou knew mm -hmm. that his mother knew. Yeah. And she said, you're not going to do what bad boys do anymore, are you? And Lou said, no, Mom, I'm not. And that was the end of his boxing career. Oh. But, Dale, you know Lou. For that Lou was Louis Costello. Oh. The man that we... Talked about last week. Talked yeah. about last week. Okay. Yeah. So interesting story. I, after after we did that event last week, I yeah, I, okay. I did a little research on Lou. And, well, you got me on that because I thought we were heading for Joe Lewis. You yeah. know, I just uh, interesting. You yeah. know, and I'd, I'd never thought that uh, Lou Costello was a box. Yeah. No, you wouldn't. This is Steve Brown, Art Center Podcast Network, and we're here with. Just Mayor Chris Even. Welcome, sir. Thank you. Good evening. Good evening. You are on for the third time, I believe. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And we're, <clears throat> we're, we're uh, pursuing Mr. Cohagen for the third time here. Um, thanks for coming in. I know you're, you're back from vacation. and. and uh, yep, back to work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good thing. It, it's a good thing. How long? How long were you in Hawaii? We were there for a week. Okay. Did the door fly off your plane or anything? Or no. Nothing exciting. Okay. So. Nope. A little bit of turbulence. That was it. <laughs> yeah. The uh, what kind of? How many hours in the year is that? Four or five hours, I think. From Los From, Angeles. Yeah, we threw up blood L.A. Uh -huh. Okay. Okay, and then what is it? Four hours from. 
five hours from Cedar Rapids. Yeah, probably total. Yeah. So nine nine total hours. Yep. That's a long time in it the was, year. Uh, yeah. Get tired of sitting that long. Yeah, yeah. it is a long time. Yeah. Yeah. It was All right. worth it. What's that? It was worth it. Oh, yeah, yeah. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. I'll bet you it was. Did you take your wife with you or go by yeah, yourself? My wife and oh, my mother-in-law, okay. actually. Oh, oh okay. So, so let, let's talk about it. Since you've been in, you've got a sort of a new city council. Who's who's all on the, the city council? Yep. So we have Todd Rolfson, Denny Bell, Craig Wright stayed on the council. Dave Bishop and Curtis Shares got off the council right. at this last election. So we had actually two write-in positions that were filled. We had Chad Cohagen, who's the school superintendent. Yeah. Andrew, right. Andrew Hamilton. Yeah. What Hamilton? Andrew Hamilton. Andrew, that's right. That's right. <laughs> how many how many meetings have you had with that with, with the new city council? We've had two meetings so far. Okay. And this. Last one this week, we just started working on the city budget for the upcoming year. Okay. How much time does that take, the city budget? It, it does, does Coley do, do a lot of that, Mike, or? Yeah, so it kind of starts with the department heads, worksheet that shows them their budget for the current year, what they spent the last two years. Then they fill that out, they give it to Coley, Coley enters it all into our accounting system, then he can print off a report that shows everything. So from there, Coley and I kind of went through it and tweaked a couple of things to try and get things in balance. And mm -hmm. then it comes to the city council. At our first meeting, we kind of went through kind of big picture through all the departments. Most of the department heads were there. They addressed any significant changes from the previous year, or answered any questions any of the council members had. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of in basically just an introduction to the budget for the council members. And we kind of went over some of the basics of how the budget's structured. The city budget's different than like a personal budget or mm -hmm. even the school budget. They're a little bit different. So we kind of explained that to them. And we'll come back at our next meeting, probably make any final adjustments or close to final adjustments. And it, there's actually two public hearings that we have to have now with the budget before it can be finally adopted. Mm -hmm. What is the biggest budget what department is the biggest budget in in town um as far as actual departments i would guess probably the police department okay just because it's the number of full-time employees that we have right mm -hmm. streets could be depending on how you look at it streets gets money from a couple of different things we have your property tax levy and there's also a road use tax that brings in three or four hundred thousand dollars a year Okay. So, which and a lot of that goes towards like our bigger street projects, the mm -hmm. seal coating, uh, curb and gutter repair, yeah. sidewalks. So, right. so is all your money generated pretty much locally? Like the school district gets money from the state. Does the city get X number of dollars from the state? Does that change from year to year, or is it all just whatever the city uh, in property tax pays you? Most of our money comes from property taxes mm -hmm. that the county collects and then redistributes back to the cities. Yeah. We do get local option sales tax, that 1%. We get a portion of that for Buchanan County while in, I guess, a little bit from Blackhawk County, too. Yeah. Is, one, is that one that the legislature is trying to get rid of? Or I know there's other levies they've said that we can't uh, have those anymore. Nope. Well, like the road use tax and road use tax is the other mm -hmm. one we get from the state. Yeah. Those are staying pretty much the same. Mm -hmm. it was the property tax levy is what the state government's kind of been changing. They eliminated a lot of 
the individual levies. Like you could levy up to eight dollars and ten cents per thousand for property taxes, mm-hmm. and then there were a bunch of special levies underneath there. The two that the city used was the library levy was another yeah. twenty-seven cents, and then the emergency levy was another twenty-seven cents. Yeah, I see. The so library levy th- is the one I really because I work. My wife and I worked to get that passed, yep. and we were very uh, disappointed yeah. that uh, they don't have that money anymore. So, yep, and that was a lot of arguments from the cities. That the library levy, in particular, was yeah. one that was voted on by the citizens. Yeah, it's they, our business, really. They it's not, chose yeah. that levy, yeah, and then the yeah. state took it away. Yeah. So, yeah, that is does limit a little bit what we were able to tax this year, and it's mm-hmm. going to gradually keep decreasing for yeah. the next. Well, that's why I was like Dyke New Hartford, the school district. Their enrollment has been pretty stagnant the last three years, and so they're getting basically the same amount of money every year from the state, even though their costs are going up. It's now they're negotiating lower salaries with their teachers. They're trying to because uh, they they are overspending, I right. guess. And uh, I wonder if if cities ever had that problem, or if you need more money, then you know where to go to get it, right? Uh, yeah. So yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, but uh, I mean, yeah, I guess just because we're growing, it's, yeah, it's not as big of a problem mm-hmm. for us. But, Yes, there's definitely some cities that yeah. obviously your expenses go up every year. Yeah. Now, this is a bad question, but I'll ask it anyway. Is there a, a percentage increase that you look at and say, we don't want to go past that, we need to work the numbers to make it? So I know I used to, we used to go, no, negotiate with the school board. And for a long time, you know, they, would, they didn't want to hit 5%. You know, that looked bad. So 4.9 was good. And in some years, they didn't want to hit 4%. They would, you know, they would. And so uh, there were just some numbers that they would shy away from. And so is that ever a, something that comes up in your thinking? or As far as, like, the property tax levy? Or yeah, or just or how much of an increase or how much more money from one year to the next do you look at budgets and say, okay, this is too much. We have to cut somewhere because this looks bad that we're asking for a 12% increase or whatever. Yeah. So We've always tried to keep... The levy rate, then the state also does an adjustment for residential property taxes mm-hmm. and rollback. So between those two, we've tried to keep the amount per thousand that we ask for about the same. Mm-hmm. Okay. And residential property taxes aren't supposed to go up on average more than three percent a year. Yeah. So that kind of keeps us at okay. about three percent. All right. Later. So there's guidelines that kind of that yep. help you. Okay. And it, it fluctuates a little bit. Oh, from I'm year sure. To year. Yeah. But that's kind of what we've tried to stay at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And. Is the amount of money available because most houses have increased in value? I mean, the evaluations uh, were quite astounding this last yep. time. <laughs> and so, does that help then uh, as far as getting more money for the city because there's more thousands of dollars to take a, a little bit of? Or It does a little bit, but you have your assessed valuation. Mm-hmm. And then you have the taxable valuation, yeah, which is like fifty percent or so, somewhere in there. Right? So it was so. last year you were taxed at sixty-four percent of your residential valuation, mm-hmm. and this year they rolled it all the way back to close to fifty-four percent. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So you're only being taxed about ten percent less of your house, mm-hmm. even though the valuation went so. Sure. It should kind of balance out. Okay. Probably on average should be around that three percent. Okay. Increase. Yeah. Okay. That's 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 interesting. I've got to ask. Because a portion of Jessup is in Blackhawk County, it's rather unique the way our town is set up. Does does that cause monetary issues for for our town at all? Is it a benefit to our town to have two counties? I wouldn't say there's really anything bad about it other than a lot of our paperwork we have to file 
at both courthouses. Right. So it's a little extra work for Cody. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But having a portion in Blackhawk County does give us a little bit of the local option sales tax from Blackhawk County. So, so it's a benefit. So it, it does help us a little bit <clears throat> be in yeah. both counties. Mm-hmm. Well, I know all my friends that live in Blackhawk County complain about their taxes. <laughs> so I don't think mm-hmm. within city limits, those in Blackhawk and Buchanan, that there's a big difference in property tax. I think there used to be maybe more. Okay, I'd always past. heard that there was a great difference. I think Blackhawk's so. maybe a little bit more, but I don't yeah. think it's okay. drastic where you'd pick not, okay. not live in Blackhawk County. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. your taxes uh-huh. are going to be that much higher. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, Mr. Mayor, tell us. And last time you were on, we talked about your plans for this upcoming year. Mm-hmm. As you're looking at the budget and you have a new council, what are some plans you have? Let's revisit those plans. And do you have any new ones? Yes. For, the, for so town? Kind of two community driven projects that we have in the budget right now. One is the splash pad. The majority of that. The actual splash pad has been completed, but we have a phase two that we're still working on. That included the parking lot, which did get done last year, but we want to add bathrooms there. Some. I saw in the um, minute you're going to put the light pole back up. or yep. they, yeah, So, okay. Yeah, yep, we had to move that because of the parking lot. Yeah. Some sidewalks, some shade structures there. We're still fundraising for that. There's another component to the splash pad. We have a spot reserve. There's a big bucket that dumps water on the kids that we want to get in there in that phase two. So mm-hmm. we're still working on that, planning to continue fundraising on that and hopefully get that project completed this coming year. Okay. The big bucket is fun. I've been on Splash yep. so I have a big bucket, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so the Splash Pad, and what else do you, do you have planned for uh, the, this coming year? Veterans Memorial. Right. Uh, the Legion's kind of been taking the lead on the design of that. They're, I think, close to a kind of a final design for it. They're still working on some monuments to pick out. But I think hopefully they'll have that done and be able to take that public, start sharing that soon. And that's another thing. The city's put $50,000 towards that. We bought the lot, but the rest of it we're hoping to get through fundraising. Mm-hmm. So we will be working with the Legion on fundraising for the rest of that project. But that's something that we hope to complete yet this coming year too. We need to get Fritz in here again and talk to him about that. The design and stuff. Yep, yeah. yeah. They got a meeting coming up, I think, again in February, and hopefully they get most of that worked out mm-hmm. at that meeting. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that's uh, that's neat. So, um, How about the, the, the new sewer treatment plant, or is that yeah. coming along? Or? So that's still ongoing. We had problems with the actual building out there. It had to be tore down and rebuilt, and that backed everything up. It was supposed to be done last October, and mm-hmm. now we have a completion date of uh, end of February. Okay. And so starting first of March, you can flush your toilet again, right? Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully. Okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> they, as far as we know, there's quite a bit of work to be done. Uh huh. They should be on schedule to. And this puts us in that. compliance with everything for a long time, right? It's the way I understand that's it. The, it's, it's a real good plan, system. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, you never know what the DNR or EPA is going to do. But yeah. In the foreseeable future, this should meet all of our needs. Mm-hmm. I guess kind of going along with that too, there's another project the city's doing with our state revolving fund loan for the wastewater plant, kind of a grant to complete a surface water, stormwater, improved water quality improvement project. Mm-hmm. So the city's doing a, in one of our lagoon cells, we weren't gonna be using out there. We're gonna take that berm down 
make that a wetland area. No, really. And redirect some surface water runoff through that to clean that up mm-hmm. before it goes into the creek. Yeah. Um, down by the street shop, there's a drainage ditch down there that there's a lot of sinkholes in, and that water's just soaking into the ground. So they're going to redo that, try and put a clay liner in there to keep that storm water from going down in the ground. Mm-hmm. And there are a couple other projects that we looked at. If we have enough funding, maybe in town, just yeah. buy retention cells or something like yeah. that. But that's all paid through from the state. Yeah. And the North Street water problem that ever gets solved. And years ago, they were. I was at a meeting, and they were talking about the flooding they had on North Street and how it came down. It's. They were working on. It, talked about it for years, and they. I haven't heard many complaints about it. Okay, we did, so they, maybe they got it fixed then. So yeah, uh, we redid the drainage ditch through there, back into the soccer complex, uh-huh. and fixed the tile there, and I mean, there's still a lot of water that comes through there, but I think it's addressed all the homeowner problems. Yeah. Okay. Because I know they were. For years, having a lot of problems, yep. and just for for the most part, the drainage is pretty good. When you say, as far as I can tell, it doesn't yeah, seem I to mean, collect or, or cause a whole lot of. We're fairly flat. Yeah, no river, so that yeah, makes it nice. That helps. So, yeah. So. Has it, has it been a lot of water the last couple of years? Well, that's just hard, right? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. I put a lot of money to waterproofing my basement. It hasn't rained enough to see if it works or yeah. not. So yeah. Yeah, I have no idea. So. <laughs> yeah, there's some areas that could use storm sewer to help get the water out a little bit faster yeah I was, I was, overall I, was, I think we're in pretty good shape that's one like the like the old part of town like holly street and those is that storm sewer ever going to be in those older parts of town you think or it would be hard probably to get everywhere yeah mm-hmm. but it would be nice it'd be a huge a, project i know come in a well, little bit further and pick yeah. up that water so it doesn't all have to run down the curb yeah mm-hmm. the the one of the new city councilmen is uh, Chad Cohagen, the school superintendent. That has to make relations with the school. They've never been bad, but it has to make it good just for the fact that you see each other quite often now. <laughs> yep. So, so uh, there is. Is there anything going on or any plans? as far as the community and the school working together? Uh, well, we have that community recreation program that the city kind of contributes some money and the school mm-hmm. basically runs it. We have a committee to kind of oversee that. But, mm-hmm. you know, we're always trying to increase that. We've had some discussion about maybe the city helping out with some of the improvements on the ball fields, particularly the ones that they use for the community rec program, Not. Oh, sure, fields, the smaller ones, yeah. Because yeah. the school, city doesn't actually have any ball fields or anything for those activities. Mm-hmm. They're all hosted up at the school, so yeah. it kind of makes sense that the city mm-hmm. might help out on some of them because it benefits the sure. community overall. Yeah. Right. I think the school would love that if you yeah. would chip in. So. <laughs> yeah. As far as, as far, you talked about heads of each department. Who are, you, who are the heads of each department, Chris? So Josh Evans would be the police chief. Uh, Mike Fettketter is our public works director. Andy Trumbauer is the fire chief. Kim Lingenfelter is the ambulance chief. Coley's city clerk oversees city hall. I think those are all the main ones. Okay. All right. And, and how many, like, do you have summer hires, like, to do mowing and this sort of thing? or? Yeah, or so it? we've had two seasonal employees. Okay. One during the summertime to help with mowing and mm-hmm. then one in the wintertime, an extra person to help with snow plowing. Oh, okay. Gone. Okay. I mean, sometimes we've had that 
permanent part-time person that did that. Mm-hmm. Lately, it's been two seasonal employees. Yeah. We did just talk at our last council meeting about possibly hiring a new full-time city employee, new wastewater plant going online, and mm-hmm. John Powers is getting closer to retirement. We're kind of thinking of a succession plan there. Oh, okay. Because mm-hmm. it's really hard to hire a, a certified wastewater operator right now. There's just not- is that a hard degree or whatever to get or to be, a, to be certified? Not- There's more to it, I think, than people yeah. realize. So we were just a grade one lagoon. And now with this new plant will be a grade three wastewater plant. Uh-huh. So grade three operator requires, I think, four years experience and two years of post-high school education. Uh-huh. So it's not something that somebody can just walk into and yeah. get within a year. Uh-huh. Wow, that, that, that's tough. Yeah. You yeah. know, how, how do you find someone like that in a community the size of Jessup? It's not not very easy. Like, that's what I do for a lot of my job is... I'll travel around to different cities that don't have a certified operator, and they have what they call an operator by affidavit, mm-hmm. where I kind of oversee them and complete all their paperwork and stuff for them, oversee the testing and that type of thing. But mm-hmm. I do that for, I think, six different communities oh, right okay. now. Mm-hmm. So it's a pretty common problem if somebody leaves that the city can't hire a certified person. Yeah, that's them. what I was thinking. Because yeah. there'd be few, and, and I assume it'd be an, a fairly expensive position to to fill too right because yeah. uh with with the ed- extra education and not that many people that are willing to do it or able to do it uh yeah, be a good I, paying job for you gillespie yeah. so yeah i don't want I know oh. two communities near us that we're looking for well, actually three that we're looking for a grade three operator and i don't think any of them owned one uh-huh. do they get applicants i wonder they end up hiring a private company to uh, operate the plant because they couldn't yeah yeah okay. they couldn't find someone so that's kind of what i wanted to start early and get somebody here hopefully trained mm-hmm. at least get close to that certification when john leaves yeah well with your knowledge of that too we're fortunate chris to that that you know that and you, you know enough to go out and pursue that before before john leaves yep so that that's a, a good thing what what other is there, is there anything else? Did everything get finished this past summer? I know, like North Street and what, Young, line, Street, yeah, Young Street, Young Street, Street yeah. Young Street. Yeah. Are there more projects like that lined up then for this year? Not or? for this year. Those okay. projects are substantially completed. Yeah, there's a few. We haven't completely closed them out yet. There's a few punch list things that need to get done. Mm-hmm. But I would expect probably right away in the spring when the weather gets fit that. We've got some ability to do some probably smaller projects this year, mm-hmm. but we did a lot of work last year with that, and then we also um, did that water main out to Hawkeye Road. Spent a lot of money last year. This mm-hmm. is going to be a recovery year. Yeah, yeah. But I imagine we'll probably do some smaller street projects. Is what we're looking at. We just haven't quite decided which ones they'll be yet. Right. Okay. Can you explain how the Jessup recycling program works or doesn't work? Okay, people throw things in those bins, and then what happens? All your recycling is commingled. Yeah. Blackhawk will take it. To, they have a sorting facility. Okay, it does go someplace where they sort it. What it's supposed to. <laughs> have you ever wanted to follow that truck and see where they go? I've always. I know that. Yeah. They said that they're having a hard time finding people to take recycling right now. Oh, I'm sure. A lot of it used to go to China, and China's not taking mm-hmm. it right now. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, they do. Even if they sort it, they have a hard time finding someone 
you know, to take the plastic. And okay. The cardboard, I think, is a little bit easier for them to dispose of. Yeah. yeah. And, well, I don't like the co-mingling. I think it's terrible. But people throw crap in there that shouldn't be in there. A lot of stuff. Yeah. People don't yeah. realize. Well, it's on the, it, I don't know if they don't realize sign, or they don't you know, care. If they read the sign. Yeah. And because uh, uh, I have a friend who one day... He climbed in the cardboard thing and he flattened all the boxes out because it just irritated him so much that people threw yep. whole boxes in there instead of flattening them out like it says on the sign to do. And uh, you just wonder, you hate to go to all the trouble of recycling if it's just going to the landfill anyway. And so I was, and does that cost the city, does the city pay a fee for that? Yes. Okay. And that's been going up lately. Uh-huh. So we actually added a recycling fee to the water and sewer bills a few months ago. Okay. Kind of help offset that. I didn't notice that. So <laughs> we do get a little bit of like grant money, I guess you'd call it, from mm -hmm. the landfill for diverting the recycling from the landfill. But yeah. That, years ago, that used to cover our costs for the central recycling site, but it doesn't anymore. We okay. just keep falling further Does this further place that. out on Dunkerton Road? Is that there's a place out there on uh, that's the West Thomas James? Okay, they on West Dunkerton Road, clear out there towards Cedar Falls. There's a big place that used to oh. take recycled stuff. Or you just see it stacked up there. Was you if you drove by? I'm not by sure where their sorting okay, facility been, okay. is, but but they do have a place where they actually sort it out. I think Blackhawk okay. is the only one locally that has a sorting okay. facility. Is what I've been told. Okay, because I know it's like Waterloo and Independence. Well, Independence is commingled also. Waterloo, they have it. You know tin here and glass here and this sort of thing yeah and uh it seems like that makes more sense but yeah it does to me because i imagine people probably don't put it where it's supposed to so they got to sort it anyway i don't know be my guess well this just looks like a big garbage can is what yep. it looks like you know and uh uh you yeah. know people want to do the right thing with recycling and uh so i, I guess i hope they are doing <laughs> what they're supposed to do i, I uh, don't know if you people notice this it is our environment, at least waste-wise, has gotten worse again. When I, in the 60s and 70s, and you guys are much younger than I am, but, but in the 60s and 70s, I, we lived in a mess. People oh, yeah. Just threw no. stuff. We had garbage dumps that mm -hmm. just were out in the counties and burning and smelled yeah. and... I see, and I live on a secluded road, so people dump mattresses down where I live and dump oh, the sure. garbage down where I live and barrels and tires. and They still do that kind of thing. They yeah. still yeah. do that. Uh, you know, I'll have the dog outside at night and I'll see cars stopping and trucks go by and I'll start yelling and he'll jump in the <laughs> truck and take <laughs> off. But but even even the nickel pop thing a lot of places don't take cans anymore yeah yeah and it's the law yeah. i don't understand that chris you know and that's not a city thing right but the, yeah that makes it a lot harder to yeah recycle yeah most people i know just donate like we have there's a donation trailer down at the dairy cone and uh different groups like ffa groups or something will have a can drive where they'll but most people i know just give them away rather than trying to find some place to take them back right, to yeah, and to stop at the, the Papa Top and Independence. Right. You, know, you got people in front of you with giant bags of this and that, you know, cans and bottles and uh, spend as much in gas to take it over there. Well, yeah, see, see, it, it just yeah. it doesn't make any sense. And so uh, I know I just take mine that little trailer. I'm, I think that's a lion's, but I'm not sure. Uh, 
there used to be a sign on it that said who's who was collecting them but uh but i just take of course we don't have that many either but when we just take them down there and uh there goes the nickel but somebody's going to get yep. it you hope that can use it and so uh but you're you're right china's turned their back on they used to pay for garbage yeah, yeah. china did yeah. yeah there was actually a market for it yeah mm-hmm. yeah. yeah so so that 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 concerns me a little bit not not the city the city does a nice job of it and and actually the contractors that you can hire in the in the country do a nice job mm-hmm. of it yeah. So, so Chris, is there anything we're leaving out that we we should should talk about or not? Who, who's plowing for us this winter? They've had their hands. They've what, had their, their phone hands. numbers. <laughs> <laughs> no, they they've done a nice job actually. Yeah, it, it's tough when you get snows like that. I mean, yeah. just to stay ahead of it. I know. I think James had over forty hours overtime in two weeks. Oh yeah. wow! Yeah. And then now when it starts to melt. You have to oh, decide a, whether you push it off or don't push it yeah, off. Yeah, it's a mess, yeah. You push it off, it goes in everybody's driveways, and then they get mad they got to clean it out again. Yeah. Yeah. Leave it on the streets, people are mad they got to drive through it. Yeah. No. People no are just win mad. situation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is. No. It is. I don't yeah, they've done a really good job. i got to commend them. It's yeah. not easy when you get that much snow that fast. No, you're right. You're right. I always remember Burt Rigdon, uh, every spring he would write a letter to the paper commenting on how well the street department had done keeping the streets uh, and so since he died nobody does that for him anymore so we like to it's say it's nice when people give we, a little yeah, bit of appreciation well, sure. we appreciate what they're doing <laughs> yeah, so yeah tell them thank you thank you and thank you for coming in chris yeah. uh, we will try to have you on another six eight weeks here okay. and talk to you again that sounds okay. good but, right. should have a better plan for the year by then all right well spring, <laughs> okay. spring will be coming at us by then i hope yep so Thank you, thank you again. Thank you very right, much. Thank you. Yeah. Dale, um, you have a press release from the yes. Arts Center. Yes, I do. Would you, would you read that? Sure. Okay. The Steve Brown Arts Center to produce documentary and high school girls basketball team using the Grinnell system. The Steve Brown Arts Center has announced its plans to produce a documentary film on a high school girls basketball team that plays with the Grinnell system, a fast-paced and high-scoring style of basketball. The film will follow the team's journey through the season as they attempt to win games and break records using the unconventional system. The Grinnell system, developed by Coach Dave Arnesalt, Arsenault at Grinnell College, is a variation of the run-and-gun system popularized by Coach Paul Westhead at Loyola Marymount University in the early 1980s. The system relies on shooting three-pointers, applying constant pressure with a full-court press, and substituting players frequently. The system has been used by several college teams and has resulted in some of the highest-scoring games and individual performances in NCAA history. The documentary will explore the challenges and benefits of using the system, as well as the impact it has on the players, coaches, and fans. The film will also feature interviews with Arnasult and other experts on the system, as well as footage from the team's games and practices. The film is expected to be released in late 2025. The Steve Brown Arts Center is a nonprofit organization that supports and promotes the arts and culture in the region. The center hosts various exhibitions, events, and programs throughout the year and aims to inspire and educate the community through the arts. And the center's website is easy to find, right? Mm-hmm. All right. All right.
Well, thank you. You're welcome. We have, I want to talk about Ron DeSantis' main backer here <laughs> in Iowa. Okay. During the campaign, he ran second before he ran out of steam. Kim Reynolds, and I know she's been one of you losers a couple of times. Yes, yes, yeah. But I want to talk about Governor Reynolds. She'll rue the day she crossed swords with me, don't you think? So. I, I think so. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, I. But this is what she has. She accomplished, actually accomplished this last year as the legislators start in for their next term Soon, they're actually they're, they're actually going. going. They're yeah, actually they're having going. committee meetings and that sort of thing. Yeah. And yesterday, I think they uh, figured out how to define the word "woman." Interesting. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is what Governor Reynolds accomplished last year with the supermajority of Republicans in the House and the Senate. She got private school scholarships. She accomplished property tax. Unfortunately, I believe, and we we had the mayor on today, um, harming the community a little bit. She pushed through a bill limiting lawsuits. She pushed through a bill, a legislative bill, restricting certain books in our state. She pushed through a bill that makes our state less welcoming to LGBTQ plus people in our community or in our state. Unfortunately, this harms children in our state. She's realigned our government and because of that, Things go slower in our government, and then it's easier for the legislators to blame our government because they've closed down or taken money away from branches of our government. She's cut university spending in our state, in, at Iowa and you and I, and Iowa State and the junior colleges. Uh, unfortunately, many of those have not all of those aren't good for our our state and if you look at those many of those are not are not being pushed by the people in our state it is it is the republican party the federal republican party that is pushing that the the national republican party not the federal but the national republican party is pushing that and that is one of the reasons that she joined forces with DeSantis is because passed many of those same laws. Mm -hmm. And if you look at Florida and you look at Iowa, and she, she pushed DeSantis real hard. Well, you notice DeSantis did not have a lot of success. There was no way that he was going to be elected because it's not what the people want. The people will change much of this when there is a legislative change. The legislators are working real hard not to allow that legislative change. Mm. That, that is what Kim Reynolds has done to our state. 
Sorry, Dale, to bring up one of your enemies. Well, <laughs> that was interesting. There's a an article uh, where DeSantis got into uh, got into it with Mickey Mouse in Florida, and uh, so there was a huge. I think it was a multi-billion-dollar project that they were going to do. Disney was going to do in Florida, and now that's all on hold. They're looking for some somewhere else to go, and so uh, you can't mess with Mickey Mouse. You well, know, he just shot himself in the foot there. So I don't know. Uh, uh, Disney's amazing, Dale. If you look at around Disneyland, there, Disney or one of their incorporations or corporations Mm -hmm. thousands and thousands of acres around Disneyland. Sure they do. They they cannot be controlled. The government can can try and control them all they want. Yeah. But they got to be a major source of revenue for any state that they are in. Yeah. And it doesn't make sense to get into a contest with them over petty, really petty little things. It'd you be know, like Waterloo getting the fight with John Deere. I mean, really. You know, nobody benefits. No. And uh, Waterloo's not going anywhere, but John Deere can go anywhere they want and be welcomed with open arms and tax breaks and all this sort of thing. It's yeah. the same with Disneyland. So uh, it'll be tough to move that place. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yes, yeah, but uh, yes, these I, billion-dollar corporations, you don't mess with them as, as much as, you know, because they don't mess with them any other way. They let them... No, never mind. That's another story. So go ahead. All right. Well, this is Steve Brown Arts Center Podcast Network. Dale, um, what do you have for us tonight? Well, I was I was, I was driving to uh, Independence again the other day, and there's a, a sign sticking out of the snow about you know no windmills, and uh, I am a big believer in uh, clean energy. I have solar panels on my house, and I know people don't like wind turbines because of they're unsightly in some people's opinions, and they take up a lot of farmland. But uh, one of the, also another reason they don't like them is is the fact that uh, those blades spinning around kill uh, bats and birds that happen to fly into them, and uh, it's. Uh, Android, just like a deer doesn't see your car at all, it runs right in front of your car. Uh, seemingly, uh, bats and birds are not aware that those things are whipping around. And so uh, uh, it is one reason why uh, people are against wind turbines. Well, this is a lady wrote an article and about ways that are being developed to solve this problem, that we do not need to get rid of wind turbines uh, they, we can still have them and uh, take care of the wildlife. And did you know that nimbyism? Do you know what that is? Nimbyism. Yeah. N i m b y. N i m b y. Nimbyism. No. That's not in my backyardism. Okay. Yes. 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 Nimbism, which stands for Not in My Backyard, is one of the biggest barriers to green energy installation as local residents protest view-ruining turbines. But one concern regularly crops up that I have some sympathy for, and that's how wind farms affect wildlife. Uh, After all, we're facing a biodiversity crisis, too. Uh, But there's often where uh, wind turbines are truly impacting animals. There are effective and often cheap mitigation measures that are available. And... uh, One estimate puts annual bat fatalities 
between 600,000 and 900,000 in North America alone from wind turbines. But there's a man in Mexico who's called, uh, he's an ecologist, ecologist uh, Rodrigo Medellin, and he's the Batman of Mexico. And he says, turbines start spinning when the wind speed is about three meters per second. It might be a gentle breeze. Studies have found that increasing the speed at which turbines become operational to six meters per second reduces bat fatality significantly. That's likely because insects, which certain species love to feast on, can't fly at those higher wind speeds, so the bats don't either. The cost in lost energy is negligible. If all turbines operated in that way, the annual energy loss would be just about 1%. So what they have done is, uh, in times of peak bat activity, they turn the windmills off. Uh, when wind speeds are low and temperatures are mild, and it reduces bat fatalities while minimizing potential energy lost. Uh, if the wind is six, uh, what was it, six meters per second, uh, then there's not a problem. The bats are not going to be up there where the turbines are because that wind bothers them. There won't be any insects, and so the bats won't be up there either. If the wind is less than that, then they just turn them off, and the loss of potential energy is insignificant, uh, would be less than 1%. Uh, Africa and Southern Europe, they have vultures uh, that are endangered, and they have excellent eyesight. They can fly thousands of feet in the air and spot things on the ground, but apparently right in front of them they have a blind spot, which they think probably evolved so they wouldn't be blinded by the sun all the time. And uh, to avoid collisions, they have found that uh, vultures mortality halved with just 0.07% in total energy production lost, one of the blades black. Really? Yeah. They paint, uh, oh, I'm sorry. This is the, 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 uh, the vultures, they stop them. When the vultures get near the turbines, the turbines stop. And then when they go away, they start again, kind of on their own. And that's what uh, they do with the vultures. And they found that this really uh, helps save the vultures and uh, very insignificant loss of, uh, of energy. It's, the, uh, it's called the white-tailed eagle. And they found in a Norwegian study that if they paint one blade black, that reduces the mortality rate by 70%. And they are working on striping the blades, which they think may even be more effective. Uh, says the threat posed to wildlife has been weaponized by clean energy skeptics. Uh, one of the reasons I didn't like Nikki Haley, I like Nikki Haley, but one of the reasons I didn't like her is she's still a big champion of more drilling, more burning oil, more burning coal. And uh, I'm of the opinion that we, we've got to start moving towards not doing that. We have to get rid of those fossil fuels if we're going to live on this planet. But former President Donald Trump, for instance, mourned the death of all the birds killed by wind power. But the number of avian deaths from colliding with turbines pales in comparison to the 2.4 billion, I'm sorry, billion, 2.4 billion birds murdered every year by domestic cats. Oh, really? Yep. <laughs> Because cats are killers. You yes. know, you can feed your cat and all the cat food, but that cat goes out and it will try to kill a bird. That's their instinct. And they're estimating 2.4 billion birds in the United States are killed every year by cats. And they don't eat them. 
per se. They just kill them. That's what they, that's what they do. That movement draws them. So clean energy also kills far fewer animals than fossil fuel power plants do. A 2012 study estimated that wind and nuclear energy kills between 0.3 and 0.4 birds per gigawatt hour of electricity produced compared to 5.2 birds killed per gigawatt, gigawatt hours of electricity from fossil fuel projects. So it's, that's more than five times. It's, so if you're worried about the animals at a wind farm going up near you, you don't oppose the project. Uh, just demand that the developer implement some of these things that will save the wildlife and save the wind energy. So, uh, and I'm sorry, I don't believe that Donald Trump cares about the little birds anyway, but it's one of those campaign things you talk about. But uh, anyway, uh, I know a lot of people hate the wind turbines. They don't want anywhere near them. But if their main reason is uh, killing bats and birds, there are simple and cheap ways of uh, mitigating that so that it doesn't happen. And so, go clean energy. Uh, thank you. Yep. Thank you, Dale. This is Steve Brown, Art Center Podcast Network. One of the podcasts I'll listen to is the Dan Levitage Show with Stu Gods. <laughs> okay. It is the number one sports inter- entertainment podcast in the, in the country right now. Um, they do four hours of entertainment a day. Okay. You know, we do an hour a week, and they do four hours a day. It's incredible. They, plus, they have... You'd have to double my money if I'm going to do I four would, hours. Would, yeah, buy. okay. All I'll, right. I'll talk to our investors about that. <laughs> the, we have investors? Oh, okay. Here we go. All right. We, but, but, and they also have about 100 other shows besides mm-hmm. other networks that... That is DraftKings Network. Network okay. is what it's called. Okay. Um, but but Stu got on that every Monday. At least he's supposed to do it every Monday. But every Monday he does a weekend in review. Well, I'm going to do a weekend review, Dale. Okay. So so this is my Stu Gatz doing the weekend review. Okay. Those of you that that haven't checked it out, check. Check out the Dan Levitage show. So, Dale? Yes, sir. DeSantis, out of the race. D for DeSantis, what's that stand for? (laughs) Democrats. Democrats. Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer will be the big winner of the... No. The the Oscars. Oscars. Excuse me. Oh, 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 Oscars, yes. Oh, oh, stands for Ohio State. Yes. And Ohio State had two losses this last year in football. Mm -hmm. They were jealous of Michigan. So Ohio State right away after they lost to Missouri went out and raised $13 million in NIL money. We need them raising money for for the Steve Brown. Brown. They they are good fundraisers. They are. Um, we can't win them any football games, though. <laughs> well, Blake, I think Blake could play football. They yeah. they hired Bill O'Brien um, after after he was released by the New England Patriots as an offensive coordinator. They hired the athletic director away from Texas A and M. His name of Ross Bjork. Did they hire that big girl basketball player that killed the Iowa women the other day? She was incredible, Dale. Oh, she was really good. Um, They could not stop her. That was, you know, Dale, 
I believe that I believe this as a coach, and V is the letter there. Yeah. Violence can oh, win. Yeah. Violence wins games. Yeah. It doesn't matter if it's women's basketball, girls basketball, little boys basketball. If it's football, the most violent team, and for years. Iowa football was called the bully of the Big Ten because mm. they were the most violent. Okay. Now, I, I really believe one of the reasons that Coach Ferentz's son was not successful as an offensive coordinator is because a few years back, Coach Ferentz had to fire his, his strength and conditioning coach, and they haven't been the same since. Yeah. Yeah, was it the Detroit Pistons were the bully boys? Yes, and won championships. And then the the Oakland Raiders for years had the reputation of being, yep, bully boys type of there football, and they were very successful. So you're probably onto something there. Well, it is, it is, um, it is the way it is. Talk about the C, the letter C. Okay, C C C. It stands for Caitlin in Columbus. And collision, <laughs> as she was ran into as they stormed the court That's in Ohio right. State. Yep. Um, a lot of people said she flopped. Um, she just had the wind knocked out of her. But a lot of, a lot, including Dan Levitard, yeah. said that she flopped. Uh, How can he say that when he doesn't know for sure? <laughs> he didn't ask her. Uh, oh. <laughs> um, they also hired the first woman athletic director in the Big Ten in Iowa. Yes, they did. B is for Beth. Yeah. Beth Getz. And she's the one that fired Ferentz, right? She's yeah, the one that fired yep. Ferentz's son. Correct? So you know she's she's got the guts to do the job. She, you know? she does. She, yeah. she does, to her credit. Like Stu guys, I have the five greatest list. And I haven't talked about this group of people for a long time so i'm going back to one one of the first few shows that we did dale i have the five greatest heels in professional wrestling history for you. <laughs> okay all right have you ever been a fan of professional oh wrestling? yes i was so yes all right you may remember some of these okay number five we'll go backwards number five Macho Man Randy, Randy Savage. Savage. Yeah, he's after my time, actually. Yeah, I know who he is, but I never watched him. He, but he was after I was cured of wrestling fever. So his yeah. manager was Miss Elizabeth. Everybody, oh, sure, yeah. Everybody had a crush on Miss Elizabeth, and he, and he wasn't very kind to her. That <laughs> made him even the bigger yep. heel. He's number five. Okay, number four, Bobby the Brain Heenan. Oh, he did he wrestle or he just was a manager, right? He was a manager. Yeah, okay. But he was he was extremely good at being the heel. Yeah. Number three, the millionaire Ted DiBiase. Okay, I did I know him. Yeah, yeah. Ted DiBiase. Everybody hated the millionaire. Okay. Oh, they they would they would promote people being poor against this millionaire and this guy would come in he would have diamonds and stuff yeah he's number three number two the scotch the, the scottish character 
Rowdy Roddy Piper. Okay, I've heard of him. Yeah, uh, he he would wear the the, the kilt. The kilt. Yep. yep. And number one, the most successful wrestler, and everybody thinks that that Hulk Hogan was the most successful wrestler of all time. But this man, he's still alive. Is number one, Ric Flair. Oh, sure. Yeah, a lot of those guys were dying their their hair blonde. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, let's see, off the list, OTL is what Stu Gatz calls it. Okay. Is a man that is a billionaire that owns, I believe it's WWE, and I may have my, my wrestling companies. It's actually a, sold on Wall Street, WWE is. Okay. Vince McMahon. I've heard of him, yes. Yeah, Vince McMahon uh, was the owner, and he is one of the heels. They, WWE just signed a deal with Netflix, and Netflix is going to live sports entertainment on there. And a lot of people in the sporting world say professional football isn't far behind professional baseball and NBA basketball. Oh, well, I'll be on Netflix or something like that. Going toward it. Yeah. Oh, wow. The streaming and, wow. and the like. They, they say that uh, last week and the week before on Peacock was mm-hmm. just, just the start of... People hate that, though. Oh, they oh, do. Oh, man, that they can't get the game. Well, yeah. Because they're, they're old like you and I, Dale. <laughs> I know. So... <laughs> So that, that we want is, three TV, don't we? That's right. Yes. Three, we're, we're used to <laughs> three networks. Yeah, we get we get, we get all three of the networks. Yeah, yeah. So that that's the week in review, Dale. I still watch the shows though that I watched when there's only three networks. <laughs> I do too. It's interesting because back in the in the '60s when I was a young man. Uh, the villains were like they were the mad russian because we had the cold war going on with right. russia and the mad russian and i'm trying to think of where they have a chinese guy or a japanese guy you know just uh would play the bad guy and uh was uh always just they used to do them over channel seven on kwl in the basement down there or something have live wrestling on sunday oh, night yeah, yeah. and uh Talk to people that actually went over there with it. Their dad took them to go see them yep. wrestle in there, and they get all excited. And so, yeah, it was uh, it was uh, quite the deal. People get all excited. Yeah, yes, uh, it did. Did you ever see? The, there was a movie a few years ago. It was in the Oscar uh, called The Wrestler. Did you ever see that? Yes. Yeah, yes. I did too. I was that was very interesting, mm-hmm. uh, and I thought that was pretty true to life from what I could tell. Right. Yeah, right. what that man went through. And uh, All right. <clears throat> well, ne- before before we finish here, we need to do an explanation and we we have a co- we have an obituary as well. Yeah. Uh, next week's show <clears throat> will will be <clears throat> a concert. We are going to do a live concert Thursday night. The February 1st, right. it is from 6 until 8 on YouTube, on our YouTube channel. Blake, help me out here. It's our YouTube channel, correct? Yes. Okay. And so if you go to the Steve Brown Art Center YouTube channel at 6 o'clock, it will be from 6 until 8. Emily Bauer is a graduate of 
Wapsie Valley High School and Augustana College. She lives out in Omaha, and she is playing in at the community center. It's Legion Hall in Fairbank, and we will be carrying that concert for you. Said so. Dale and I won't be on the air, but that concert will be with that with the help of technology and our producer Blake. So make sure you catch that. Don't forget also, next Sunday, February 4th, we will have Paul Beyer from Independence, a woodworker. We will have Nick Thomas, art, although Nick is in Los Angeles. I've seen several of his pieces in it, and we will have several of his pieces at the fire station with their breakfast February 4th and the third artist is John Decker from Independence and then we will show them from 8:30 till 10:30 <coughs> in the fireman hall or the fire department at Jessup as they serve breakfast make sure you support our lo local fire department and stop by and see those artists, please. It's the Emergency Services Building. Thank you, yes. the Emergency <laughs> Services Building. That's, as I understand, that's the proper title, I think. So. I, uh, going from where I grew up, Dale, they called it the fire. I know, but now they have the, the ambulance services out of that building yeah. also, and so it's not just the firehouse. Uh, thank you. And, thank you. And there are people that are quick to tell you if you... Say it wrong. I so, value that. Yes. I value yeah. that. And sure. I appreciate that. It'll take a while, but we'll get it. Yes, yeah. that's right. That's right. Dale Dale has <clears throat> has a an obituary for us. Okay. Yeah, it was sad to see uh Marlis Joanne Nagel has died. Uh very nice lady. I knew uh, she and her husband. Uh, Marlis Joanne Nagel, 87 years old of Independence, Iowa, and formerly of Jessup, Iowa, died Sunday, January twenty one. 2024 at Prairie Hills Assisted Living in Independence. Uh, Funicers will be 11 a.m. Friday, January 26, 2024 at the First Presbyterian Church, Jessup, with burial at Cedar Crest Cemetery in Jessup. Uh, visitation will be from 4 to 7 Thursday at the White Funeral Home and Jessup and for an hour before services at the church. Uh, in lieu of flowers, memorials may be directed to the First Presbyterian Church in Jessup or to Cedar Valley Hospice. And online condolences can be posted at white-mounthope.com. Marlis was born June 23, 1936 in Preston, Minnesota, the daughter of Edward Minsink and Marion Broadwater Minsink. And after her mother's death in 1939, she was accepted into the home of Howard and Celia Westlink and became a part of their family. After graduation from high school in Wyckoff, Minnesota, Marlis was united in marriage to Paul Arthur Nagel in Cherry Grove, Minnesota on July 10, 1954. They moved to Waterloo in 1955 and on to Jessup in 1959. Marlis worked at Farmers Mutual Telephone Company in Jessup for 39 years and retired in 2007. She was a member of the First Presbyterian Church in Jessup and a former member of Eastern Star. Marlis is survived by two daughters, Cindy Schmidt of Jessup and Ann Greg Becker of Jessup, two sons, Terry uh, Colleen Nagel of Jessup and Chris, uh, wife Barbara Nagel of Grinnell. Six grandchildren, three step-grandchildren, four great-grandchildren, four step-great-grandchildren, and one brother, Floyd Westlink of Marion. 
She is preceded in death by her biological parents and her adoptive parents, husband Paul in 2015, one son Danny in 2019, two-step great-grandchildren, one sister Colleen Schmidt in 2015, and one son-in-law Earl Schmidt in 2017. And White Funeral Home is in charge of the arrangement. So, no, I knew her real well. You, you knew her from the telephone company, mm -hmm. and she also was active with uh, the Presbyterian. They did lunch in the park. You know, she's all in funeral dinners, that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, and her husband Paul was just a real fun guy. Uh, my grandfather died when my father was about twelve, and he had uh, two brothers and a sister younger than him. And when his dad died. Uh, there was a time where those four kids had to be put in other families, mm -hmm. I guess, for a while until I don't know what had to happen. Then my grandmother, you know, they reassembled as a family then right. uh, later on. So this was, you know, I think fairly common yeah. uh, situation where if uh, it'd be hard in those days where the way people had to work if they had no one to take care of the children, you know, and so right. uh, so so this is quite common and uh, it was common at that time, I think. Oh, uh, so you got your safety net all put together and figured out how you're going to handle things, and then uh, my grandma was able to get the kids back. But uh, yeah, I, she was she was an incredibly nice lady. Yeah, very nice. Yeah, yeah. thank you, Dale. Yeah, thank you, Dale. <clears throat> uh, if you'd like to donate to the Steve Brown Art Center or have an idea for an event, go to the SteveBrownArtCenter.org and follow the link. If you have news or would like to sponsor us, email us at Jim at stevebrownartcenter.org or call 319-290-0241 and leave a message. With Dale Reber and Blake Tempest, I'm Jim Gillespie. Thanks, as always, to Kelly Seahaas at Cowork 591 Studios. And thanks to the audience for bringing these stray dogs into your day. Remember, each day is about little victories.